All right, good morning, church. Thanks for being here today. It's a joy to be with you. If you're wondering why I can palm this basketball, it's not because I'm a real man, it's because it's a junior ball. So uh, that's why, okay, what's the basketball about? I want you to do something with me here. I want you to imagine. Imagine with me that you're out in the driveway with your your son or your daughter, your grandkids, niece or nephew, and, uh, you know, it's, it's late in the evening and y'all are out shooting hoops, okay? So you're getting rebounds, passing it back to your kid. And then your spouse from inside calls to you. I don't know if in your house it's the husband or wife that's cooking dinner, but somebody calls to you out there and they say, hey, dinner's ready, come on in. And so you pass it back and you say, yeah, just one second, we're going to make one more shot. Okay. And so your kid gets the ball and, and they shoot it and they miss, they miss. And you're like, okay, okay, that's okay. Uh, you get it and you pass it back and they take that ball and they miss again. And you're committed at this point, right? And you're hungry, but you're committed to seeing this through. So you pass it back to your kid and they shoot again and they just keep missing. You don't know what's wrong with your kid. Uh, but they just can't make it. They're just throwing up brick after brick, Okay. But you're like, okay, and you rebound it again, and you pass it back, and you just, you just keep it going, okay? And let's say it stretches into 15, 20 minutes. Your spouse calls to you again, hey, I'm serious. Dinner's ready. And you're like, yeah, 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 we're just going to end on a good shot, and you keep going. And so let's, let's just, you know, for the sake of the argument, let's say it stretches into hours, and they can't make it. Um... Let's say it goes into the night. You have to flip on the floodlight outside the garage so you can see and you keep shooting and you keep, you keep passing it back to your kid and they can't make it. Finally, the neighbors come out. It's about midnight and they're like, go to bed already. Uh, but you're gonna see this through. You're gonna see this through. Okay, so why is your perspective, what you are willing to do different than your neighbors? Well, it's because it's your kid. That's the difference. If it wasn't your kid, you'd be out there yelling with everybody else, this has gone overboard, go inside. But since it's your kid, you are willing to see this through so that it ends in victory, okay? All right. Um, Keep that in mind for a minute. Man, I'm such a man. Look at that. I just want y'all to see that. All right. I want you to have that visual. Okay. Come with me here to 2 Peter Three. Now, that's the first time in over a year it hasn't started with, come to me to Acts. Okay, so come with me to 2 Peter 3. Let me show you something. And this image of basketball is going to make a little bit more sense to us. 2 Peter 3, verse 8. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, right? <clears throat> but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So this is the day when Jesus will return. The heavens will disappear with the roar, a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Well, you ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God, and speed its coming. 
That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. That our Lord's patience means salvation. In grad school, I was preaching for this little country church outside of Abilene, the Cottonwood Church of Christ. I've talked about it before. And one of the real gifts of that was that I was preaching there, and there were about a dozen other small churches like that around Abilene where my buddies were preaching at each week too. And so one of the upperclassmen in the graduate school program had this idea that we should all preach on the same passages each week so that we could help each other prepare sermons quicker. They'd cut down on our sermon prep time. And so every Monday we would come in and we would talk about the assigned passage that we were all going to preach on that week. We'd come in and have coffee together on Monday morning. And I'd hear ideas from other guys. They'd hear ideas from me. And it would help us to to form what we were going to say that week in the little country churches around Abilene. And so one of those upperclassmen, you know, asked the question, how are we going to decide which passage we preach each week? Are we going to make some big schedule that lasts for a year in advance? Somebody's going to have to put a lot of work into that. Well, in graduate school, you're trying to get out of doing any extra work that you can, okay? And so one of them had the idea that we're going to use a tool that's called the lectionary. Has anybody ever heard of the lectionary before? So the lectionary is basically a book that has assigned passages that in your church you should read each Sunday together. And it covers a three-year cycle so that over the course of three years, you read most of the Bible as a church. It's a really great tool, and a lot of other churches use this tool each and every Sunday. I'd never heard of the lectionary, but I was on board with that. And so around Christmas time, as we come in talking about the lectionary passages, one of the guys, one of those upperclassmen said, all right, since this is Advent, let's talk about that. And I had never heard the word Advent before. Okay, but I didn't let those upperclassmen know that. I was like, yeah, let's talk about Advent. I know what that means to me. What does it mean to you when you think about it? You know, it's like, I had never heard that before in my life. Okay, but in the broader Christian calendar, which the lectionary is tied to, the season that runs from basically Thanksgiving to Christmas is what we call Advent. So if you haven't heard that term, that's where it comes from, okay? And what the word means It comes from a Latin word, adventus, which means basically coming soon, coming soon. And so in this season leading up to Christmas, Christians everywhere are supposed to think about who's coming soon. That's what it's about. Who's coming soon. And so if you are somebody waiting on somebody else, right, then not only are you thinking about the one who's coming soon, but you're also thinking about what it means to wait. Okay. So those are the two dynamics of Advent. There's the one who's coming soon and all of us who are, who are waiting. On. Okay. And so the way that Advent gets you to think about this is it has you look two directions at the same time, which is sometimes challenging to do, but, but let me explain. First, Christians everywhere right now in this season are looking backwards. They're looking all the way back to the beginning of the biblical story. 
Uh, if you want to turn there, you can come with me to Genesis 3, one of the first ch- chapters in the Bible. Okay. The first book is Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 tells the story of Adam and Eve's sin, the rebellion against God, the entrance of sin into the world. And God the Father shows up on the scene and he has a conversation with Adam and Eve and the serpent who misled them. And he says to the serpent this, this is Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity or conflict between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers and he, her offspring, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And many people say that this is the first gospel good news announcement in scripture. That going all the way back to the beginning of the story, we, God's people, have been waiting on a son who would come and conquer. All the way going back here. All right, you see this. This is the same promise that's repeated in Genesis 12 to Abraham, the patriarch, when God says, hey, through your offspring, I'm going to bless the whole world. It's the promise that's given to King David. One of your sons will be on my throne forever. It's the promise that's given to Isaiah of one who belongs to the father who comes and will suffer for us and in suffering will conquer all that holds us down. Okay. So the people of God have been waiting. I want you to see this visually. Okay. So when you look backwards, Advent calls you to remember what it was like to be a child of God for generations and generations waiting on Jesus. So you'll see this in this graph. You'll see this red line. Okay. This, I'm going to throw it up here. Forever, for all of time, Before Jesus, the people of God were waiting on him. And Advent wants you to remember what that was like. But Advent also wants you to look forward and to remember that we're waiting too. So come with me to the end of Scripture. So we started in Genesis 3. Now we're going to go to Revelation 22. Okay, this is how Scripture's ending here. Revelation 22, Jesus says, so if you were looking at your Bible and you have a red letter Bible, this would be in red letters. These are the words of Jesus. Yes, I am coming soon. And we respond, amen, come Lord Jesus. Okay, so the point here, and let's throw this there up on the graph next with this green, is that our situation because Jesus has come is dramatically different than the people of God who are waiting on him forever. Uh, We've been filled with the Spirit. Our sins have been forgiven in His blood. We've been surrounded by the body of Christ. So our starting point is dramatically different than their starting point was. And yet, the trajectory of our experience on earth is the same as theirs, and that just like them, we're waiting for Jesus to come. All right. Now, there's a great sermon here, if you look at these two lines, about how people living on those lines should live. And Peter's really concerned with that. He says you need to be holy and blameless, spotless, make sure that you're at peace with the one who's going to come. So he says you need to think about how you're living as you wait because he's coming. But my hope this morning is to make the other point Peter's making. And that is, as I look at these two lines and recognize that each represents thousands of years, generations, that it's important for me to acknowledge someone else is waiting too. All right, let me explain that. If you're looking here in 2 Peter, if your Bible's open there to 2 Peter 3, and you were to go back to 1 Peter chapter 3, the book right before this, written by the same guy, 
he talks about Jesus. And he says that when Jesus died, before he was raised on earth, he took a little visit down south, okay? He, he visited those who had died before his coming and preached to them. Now, there's a long story there. You're like, what? Okay, we can talk about that some other time. But look at this, 1 Peter 3.20. Jesus visited those who were disobedient long ago. This is what I want you to pay attention to. When God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. All right. God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. You know, if we add up the years recorded in Genesis, the story of Noah, when God judged the world and flooded the whole earth, if we add up the years, we think it took Noah and his sons about 75 years to build that boat, the ark. About 75 years. For a little perspective on that, the Colosseum in Rome took 10 years to build. 10 years. The White House took 13 years to build. The Great Pyramid of Giza took 20 years to build. The Taj Mahal took 21 years to build. Okay. The Ark took 75 years to build. I want you to just think about how long that is. 75 years ago, we were just coming out of World War II. I'm thinking about how differently, how much time has passed in 75 years. It took Noah and his son 75 years to build the ark. And I always thought it took him so long because he was 500 years old. And when you're 500, you don't move as fast as you did when you were 400. You know, like things, things slow down a little bit. And he had to source his gopher wood. You know, there wasn't a Home Depot around the corner, so it took a little bit longer. But Peter says, that's not why it took Noah so long to build the ark. He said it took Noah so long to build the ark because God is patient. And God wanted to give people time to turn to him and be saved. And so it took an extravagantly long time to build a pretty simple boat because God's patient. Think about that. All right, so come back with me here to 2 Peter. Let me throw those the green and red graph up there on the screen again. And the green and red don't mean anything. It's just Christmas time. So there you go. When I look at these two lines, you know, you got to remember that each one of those lines represents thousands of years of waiting on Jesus to come. And if you're like my kids on a long trip in the back of the seat, you're calling out to God the Father, are we there yet? You know, why is this taking so long? There was a kid over there that loved that one. All right. Why is this taking so long? And the answer from the driver's seat, the answer from God the Father, I think is one of the most revealing and comforting things about who God is. And I want to dive in here and explain it a little bit more. Look, at, look again with me, 2 Peter 3, 8. Don't forget this one thing. So Peter says, hey, this is important. Dear friends, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. All right, I'm going to give you a couple, a couple things to think about here. What he's saying is God is not slow. 
There is a lot of adjectives you can use to describe God. Slow is not one of them. God is not slow. He's what? God is patient. Okay. What's the difference there? All right. Um, how many of you have played hide and seek with a little kid before? Anybody ever done that before? Okay. Um, you, as the intelligent, sharp adult you are, you know exactly where they are. Uh, they're in there, they're giggling and they're wiggling and it is so obvious. And they go to the same spot every time. Every time. Okay. And yet, when you count to, let's say, 25, you don't immediately go right where they are. What do you do? You go to the other bedroom and you say, hey, are you in here? Okay, no. You go to a closet and you open the door and shut it a couple times. You go and you check your email. You know, you do several other things. Some of you are like, yes, amen. Okay. You do several other things before you go and find them. Okay, why? It's because you, you love your kid. Okay, so your kid says, Daddy, you are so slow. Well, that's not actually true. You are patient. You know, like if my pace is determined by my character, is a decision, then it's not actually true to say I'm slow. It'd be true to say I'm patient or I'm loving or I'm kind or I'm gracious. Or if you race your kid. How many of you have done a foot race with a little kid before? Okay, my kids are old enough, my big ones now, that they could probably beat me in a foot race. I haven't run full speed since maybe high school. I think if I tried to, my muscles and bones would just combust. Okay, so, but when you race a little kid, what do you do? Okay, this is the big secret. You let them win, right? And they turn around and they say, you are so slow. But if my decision to go slow was based on my love for you, then it's not true to say I'm slow. It's true to say I'm kind. Or in the case of the father, that I'm patient, and so what Peter says to go on to the next one, patient does not equal slow. And then if you look at verse 15, bear in mind the Lord's patience means salvation. That for God the Father, patient means salvation. That it's time. He's giving the world to turn to him and be saved that governs the pace at which he moves. Think about that. And so to kind of wrap this up, what he's saying is that God is patient. And when I say God is patient, what I mean is that what God the Father is doing is saving. Okay. And as I think about this season of Advent, you know, looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ, wondering why is it taking so long? The answer of the Father is because I'm patient with you. That's it. Now, if you like me, you look at the world around you, and the, our world's a mess. It's a mess, right? There's sin, brokenness, trauma, violence, and absolute lack of moral clarity on anything. And as I look at the world around me, I say, like Revelation ends, I say, come Lord Jesus, what are you waiting for? Come now, right? And I think that as I look at the broken world around me, I think that in every single situation, as I look at the world around me, except, except for the person in my family who is so far from Jesus. And for that person, and maybe you have a person like that in your family, for that person, I wish for more time. Do you understand that? I had two moms in the last couple months. 
one whose adult son is in his 60s and one whose adult son is in his 40s. Two moms who came to me heartbroken over decisions of their adult sons, asking me to pray for them. And both moms said to me, you know what, Eric? You never stop being a mom. Can some of you relate to that? Right? That when it comes to somebody that you know and love, your prayer is that God will move slow for them. Uh, Paul, uh, whose story we've been looking at in the book of Acts, y'all knew I couldn't stay away. Um, Paul talks about his own life. You may remember Paul was a murderer, or at least accessory to murder. And he says this about God the Father. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance and about Jesus the Son. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, look at this, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. And then look at this. He, he thinks about the the patience of God the Father through Jesus Christ, and he's moved to worship. So now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. As he thinks about the patience of God, he's just overwhelmed with praise and thanksgiving because for Paul, had God not given him time, we would not have Paul the apostle. We would just have Saul the murderer. It was the fruit of time. And that doesn't mean that God's up there in heaven just sitting on his hands, not doing anything while he waits. Look at this, Paul and Acts. So there we go, we're back. In Acts 26, when, when Jesus confronts Paul on the Damascus Road and Paul's retelling that story, he says that Jesus says for him, he says, Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the goats. And what a goat is, is a sharp stick that you poke a cow or an ox with to get it to move in the direction you want it to go. And Jesus is saying, all this time, you've been turning the wrong way. I've been poking at you. Like, I've been poking at you, trying to get you to turn back to me. So God in his patience is an idol, but he's giving us 